How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... Well, we warned you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bedwetting episode of Gravely Amusing, the only pop culture podcast that knows true love is hard to find. Sometimes you think you have true love, and then you catch the early flight home from San Diego. Today's episode is about someone you may have heard of before, but I assure you, you've never seen him. He is a 16-time world champion, a 13-time WWE champion, and a three-time World Heavyweight Champion. He is a five-time WWE United States Champion, a two-time WWE Tag Team Champion, a two-time World Tag Team Champion, a two-time Royal Rumble winner, and he's a one-time Money in the Bank winner. He is the DCU's Peacemaker. He is the Ken Mermaid in the Barbie movie. He is the greatest of all time. The Universal Monster, the Invisible Man. You know what? Uh, yeah, I think I might have screwed up my notes here. Um, I think I just described John Cena. Well, in my defense, you can't see him either. <laughs> I kill me. <laughs> but the real Invisible Man, the Universal Monster... Uh, he's an odd monster and character. When when someone says who their favorite universal monster is, people usually say Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein. They rarely say the Invisible Man. And I think there's a lot of interesting things about the Invisible Man. I just think that he is a victim of not only a lot of rough edges, but definite inconsistencies in the character. I, I think that they they don't understand if they want the Invisible Man to be a villain or if they want him to be a protagonist. And you'll, you'll see that a little bit in, in Invisible Man movies. You'll see that a lot in the Universal movies as they kind of flip-flop what the heck they want to do with this character. They, they don't stick to H.G. Wells, who, who wrote the book, they don't stick to his original conception of the character. And I'll get into that a little bit. I, I, I do want to focus a lot on that original inception, but Universal Monsters does a lot of flip-flopping and what the heck they're doing. 
So I, I think invisible visibility powers or you know abilities, I think it's pretty dang cool. Like when I was a kid, I thought the Wolfman was dope because he could turn to a wolf and you know he was a man too. I didn't really understand the concept of he's murdering his loved ones. But I had a lot of dreams and imagine as a kid that I I you know I could turn to a wolf and you know I'd have wolf powers, but I also practice being invisible. And I think a lot of us as kids and even as adults, we like the we like the prank or the ability to sneak up on people, to spook them, to get that quick scare, that jump scare. And that's an intriguing part of the scariness of the invisible man is you can't see him coming. You don't know when he's there. You don't know what's coming for you. And that to me is terrifying. But I don't think that he was always executed properly as he would be in later years. And 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 I'll get to the later years, you know, what down the road of the podcast. But focusing on universal uh, version, you know, we'll 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 get into that. So some characteristics of the universal version. He cannot turn off the invisibility. And later versions, they would be able to turn it off. Uh, depending on how they wanted to tell the story. The visible man is also covered in bandages completely uh, over his face and hands. He wears a long coat, usually a tie. He dresses like a gentleman, usually. And he wears signature goggles around his eyes to protect the light, but also to not show the, uh, the hollow eyes, if you will. So... You, so, you know, you, uh, you know how this goes. I start with telling you who created the Invisible Man. So sit tight and let's hear how the heck the Invisible Man was created. The novel from the mind of Wells is considered what's called a young man's novel. It's described as a scary theme novel, but it's okay for preteens, if you will. It's like kind of children's literature, but not completely. I I don't know how it can be considered children's literature, some of the stuff in this in this book, but it's like on the lines of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or Sherlock Holmes book, like Jungle Book. I mean, there is some stuff that I mean, I don't think I'd let some kids read, but uh, basically like PG-13, I guess you could say. Now, this book was published the same year as Dracula in 1897, making it part of that nice horror classic era. And the book's not very long. Uh, it can take roughly about four hours to read. Uh, I suggest checking it out just to say you read it. And it's H.G. Wells, who's an amazing author. Um, but there are parts of this book that really drag, um, as we'll, we'll, we'll see here. So the novel starts with a mysterious man arriving at an inn owned by Mr. and Mrs. Hall, 
in the actual real-life village of Upping or Ipping in West Sussex, England, during a snowstorm. You know, uh, it had to happen in England because that's where all the cool stuff's from. So the man wears a wide-brimmed hat, a long-sleeved thick coat and gloves, and most importantly, his face is completely covered in bandages, except for his nose, which is a strange pink color, and it seems completely fake. The man walks in to the inn, and it's like around February, and he immediately demands a room and to be left alone completely. He isn't technically a jerk at first, at least in my opinion, but he gets more annoyed as Mrs. Hall uh, just keeps interrupting him. She she brings him a meal. She forgets the mustard. She comes back. And when she brings this mustard, it takes him a, a minute to cover up his whole entire mouth. And she sees what appears like a big giant gap in his bandages. Like he has a huge mouth. It's really weird. And she, like the the way Wells writes this is you can't totally tell he's invisible yet. Like he just, his descriptive words are in third person. So you're getting the perspective of kind of like what Mrs. Hall sees or what everybody else sees. And she sees just this big gap where his mouth should be. So it just kind of like freaks her out and she's not sure what she saw. So she grows suspicious and she's not sure what the story is. Eventually, since she thinks she saw that the man has a lower jaw, that nothing was there, she starts telling people about it. The stranger also questions Mrs. Hall if he can get his luggage he left at the train station. She informs him he cannot get his belongings until tomorrow. He doesn't like that one bit, as the luggage contains his workstation, and he informs her that he is a scientist and he just needs to finish his port at work. She insists he can't get his things until the morning when someone will bring them. This starts his anger and frustration. He also insists on her that he needs to be alone, but Mrs. Hall is deaf like I am. And she lets into his room a clock worker. The clock worker is someone, uh, he's somewhat calm about this clock worker walking in, but he makes it clear to her that he'd like some tea after the clock guy leaves, and then he wishes to be seriously left alone. But these people don't listen. So when she goes in now, the stranger has to rush to cover his invisibility and he spends most of his time in his room working with chemicals and lab stuff. Uh, well writes and describes everything very, very well of what they're seeing as they keep interrupting him. Now, our stranger stays in his room and only seems to venture out at night. The book goes on, and the stranger causes a lot of accidents in the hotel. But when Mrs. Hall addresses this, the stranger demands that the cost of damage be put on his bill. To help with his work in the end, hundreds of strange glass bottles do arrive. I, I think this is part of his luggage, if I remember correctly. But because of his odd behavior, he becomes the talk of the village with many theorizing as to who this guy is and what his origins all are. And like all of us adults, eventually the mystery man runs out of money and he tries a way to pay for his hotel stay. 
Mrs. Hall has had enough, and she goes into his room and says, Bitch better have my money. And at this moment, our stranger addresses himself in front of her in a fit of anger, and he reveals that he is invisible. And this is key, right? This, 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 this is key. The man must be fully naked to be invisible. So for one, <laughs> he has his twig and berries just flapping around in the wind at all times. To be truly invisible, he has to be naked. That means his twig and berries are flapping around nonstop. And, and also means that this dude has to be very cold at all times in the winter. And, and this is what scares me here. This is the thing about invisibility that scares me. It's the possibility, the possibility that at some moment in my life, if invisibility becomes a real thing, that at any time, and I'll never know it, a dude could have his balls right next to my face, and I will never, ever know. So, so I appreciate if in further in future versions of the visible man that they put focus on that, that any time you could have balls in your face, <laughs> but this man can do anything. And that, that is some really scary stuff that they do talk about in future adaptations of, of the, um, the visible man. But I think for this guy to be incredibly scary, um, the more recent versions of the visible man, where it's just not about thieving and murder, but but sexual assault and gaslighting, and you don't know what this guy's going to do. Um, to me, that is terrifying. And the 2020 version of Invisible Man, they did this so well, and it really was terrifying um, to put yourself in that woman's shoes of what is really going on. Uh, I thought I thought it was done fantastic. But we'll talk about that another day, as you can hear me, hear me on. I apologize. Um, but that's really terrifying there. And I am glad that there are invisible mans that don't focus on this sexual assault. But um, he's running around naked. <laughs> like, there's no other way to put it. So back to this naked invisible man. The police do attempt to apprehend him, but the stranger takes full advantage of his visibility. He fights him. He gets his way. He strips naked. So as the invisible man is roaming the town, the visible man eventually finds this homeless dude named Thomas Marvel. And he gets him to become his assistant by basically throwing rocks at him and saying that we're both outcasts and we can both be rich. And Marvel doesn't know what the heck he's going on. He's a drunk homeless guy. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be your partner, whatever. So with Marvel, he returns to the village, to the hotel, tries to recover his three notebooks that contain records of his experiments. Um, and this next part is is kind of weird. Like a, It's a few chapters of going back and forth, and this will happen later in the book, too, of like two things happen at once in different chapters. But basically in this section, it goes back and forth with, with uh, the visible man going into the hotel room and catching people near his stuff. And he, he, you know, there's just a bunch of couple, a couple of jagoffs and his stuff. And he opens up a can of whoop ass. He has anger issues. He beats them. 
Meanwhile, Captain Marvel is spotted by the people in the village, and they yell, thief. They chase him, but he gets away with all this money that the Visible Man drops to him. He gets away with all this money that the Visible Man stole. He gets away uh, with the notes of the Invisible Man. So um, eventually, as he runs away, he still has the stuff, though. The Visible Man catches up with him. Marvel says, I'm a horrible assistant. Please let me go. Visible Man says that, nope, uh, you got this in the paper. You're not going anywhere. You know, whatever. Uh, Captain Marvel escapes again, and he runs into a sailor, and he tells the sailor the whole story. The sailor thinks, hey, this could be a true story because this dude has dates. He has names. Um, this is pretty crazy. But the Visible Man shows up, slaps Marvel silly, and chases him into a bar. Uh, everybody thinks Marvel's nuts because he says the Invisible Man's chasing him. But then the Visible Man does the second, fifth greatest thing he does, other than get naked. He starts breaking windows. And a man shoots at, at uh, the Visible Man. And somehow the Visible Man gets shot in the wrist. And he runs into the snow naked and bleeding. So at uh, I am invisible man. I'll just call him I am. Takes shelter in a nearby house and turns, and this house turns out to belong to Doctor Kemp, who was a former acquaintance of his in medical school. Uh, and uh, I am, you know, sneaks into the house. He came into the window. It was the sound of a crescendo. He came into Kemp's apartment. He left the bloodstains on the carpet. Kemp ran underneath the table. He could see that he was able. So Kemp ran into the bedroom. He was called out. It was his doom. Kemp, are you okay? Are you okay, Kemp? Kemp, are you okay? Are you okay, Kemp? I think you've been hit by, you've been struck by an invisible criminal. <laughs> I am says that he knows Kemp and he's very tired. He's and he says that he'll tell Kemp his whole story if he promises not to turn him in. And Kemp is shocked that this invisible man knows him. So he agrees and says, Yeah, you can tell me your story in the morning. I'm intrigued how you know me. In the meantime, Kemp writes a letter to the cops, this Colonel, uh, Colonel Ade or Colonel, I don't know, we'll just call him Copper. And he sends this letter to the cops to, uh, to meet him the next day to catch the invisible man. In the morning, I am is thrown to fit and he starts his story. And this story goes several chapters long. Uh, it's a huge, huge chunk of the story. So, we get his real name. The visible man's real name is Jack Griffin. And Griffin was a medical student at the same time as Kemp. But Griffin switched to physics because he was interested in light. Uh, he came with a loose theory for how to make objects invisible, but needed to figure out a method to actually do it. So Griffin is also albino. Um, I don't know much about albinos, but albinos, their eyes are very sensitive to light. So, um, probably why, like, his character, you know, dwelled into visibility and light and stuff um, to try to kind of help, help, help his eyes. Um, 
So he came up with a loose theory of how to make objects visible, but he had to figure out how to do it. So Griffin left London and the college six years prior to this start of the story, and he went to live in uh, Chelselstow, and he had a teacher, um, or I'm sorry, he was a teacher and he was a student there. What he really wanted to do, though, was continue his research in invisibility. And his professor, as he was a student, uh, his professor Oliver, uh, Griffin writes in the book, uh, was a scientific bonder, uh, bonder or whatever, a journalist by instinct, a thief of ideas. He was always prying in my work. So Griffin didn't want to publish his research because then Oliver would get credit for it. So Griffin did all this work by himself. And he says in all his great moments of discovery, he's always been alone, which puts in his mind, I have to be alone to do anything. Now, one night alone, Griffin figured out how to make a human invisible. And pretty soon he was thinking about making himself invisible since it would get him out of his shabby poverty struck Hamden, uh, you know, it would get him out of poverty. So after three years of teaching and doing this research, uh, he didn't have the money he needed to complete the research. So he did the obvious thing that anybody would do. He robbed his father. And unfortunately, the money that he stole from his dad uh, wasn't his dad's money. And his dad ends up killing himself. And this is, this is, this is an odd part of the story because we don't know where this money came from. We don't know where his dad got it. We don't understand why his dad killed himself. All we know is that this money wasn't his dad's and his dad killed himself. So, like, was his dad a thief? Like, there's so much more story that Wells didn't do. Um, so, shame on you, Wells. Shame on you. Now, after his dad died, he moved into a cheap boarding house in London to continue his research. Uh, he did go to his dad's funeral, but he didn't really care about his dad. He was just keeping up appearances. Now, except for Griffin's research, the whole world is unimportant to Griffin. He doesn't care about anything but his work. And he's his research is all written in his books, except for a small few parts that are locked into his mind. He goes back to this boarding house and continues the experiments. Uh, he makes uh, some wool invisible, and he makes a neighborhood cat invisible. Eventually, though, Griffin gets annoyed by this cat and he lets it out. Now, because he just got rid of his only friend, which was the cat, Griffin has a bit of a breakdown. He starts to have nightmares uh, and he's no longer interested in his work. And he starts taking drugs and like cocaine or some drug called uh, uh, citronine. I'm not sure what it is, but... Um, he does drugs, he's isolated, he's depressed. Uh, at one point, the old woman, uh, the landlord, comes to make sure that Griffin isn't experiencing, experimenting on animals. Uh, they, got, they get in the fight, and it ends with Griffin pushing the landlord out of his room. Realizing this is going to lead to trouble, Griffin decides to disappear. He sends his books off by mail to some place where he can pick them up later, which is that station. Um, and then he starts the process of turning himself invisible, which ends up being extremely painful to him. So that means that the cat he was experiencing on was experiencing that pain too. 
So it makes him a really sick dude. During the process, though, as Griffin is trying to turn himself invisible, the landlord tries to give Griffin an eviction notice. And Griffin looks so strange from the slowly turning invisible that the landlord runs away. At some point, Griffin becomes almost totally invisible, except that um, the pigment still remains behind his retinas. So this makes his eyes even weaker than, than before. So this is where he gets the thought of the, uh, the goggles. The landlord eventually gets some people and breaks down his door. And he's hiding as he's completely invisible. You know, he learned to strip down his clothes at that time. He destroys his equipment in anger and he sets fire to the home. He then thinks of what more he can do being invisible. And he's pretty excited to be invisible, but he realizes through this invisibility that it sure has some drawbacks. For one thing, he can't see his feet, so he can't walk downstairs. The fact that people can't see him, um, you know, advantages and disadvantages. So people can't see him, so sometimes they bump into him and he gets stuff jabbed in his neck or his body. Uh, he's also very cold, so he's going to get sick because he's running around naked. Uh, he hates dogs. Dogs can find him. They can smell him anywhere. Now, wandering around London, Griffin comes across the Salvation Army. How about that? <laughs> and they're marching around. And it draws a crowd, and the visible man absolutely hates crowds because he can't slip through the crowds. And people can feel him if they don't see him. And they probably feel... You know, his balls bouncing around or, or you know, his, 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 his manhood. And he tries to get out of the way of these crowds, but sometimes he steps in mud. It leaves footprints. Um, street urchins start to follow him. It's, it's, it's not good. He gets found out. So when it starts snowing, Griffin gets really tired of being invisible. Um all during this story that he's telling this, as he's telling, Kemp keeps looking out his window, looking for the cops. So in January comes a snowstorm. Griffin needs to find a place to stay, and he couldn't get into the house, so he burned down. So he decides to next, do the next best thing. He goes to a shopping store, and he finds this giant department store called Ominous or Omniums, and he steals food and clothes. He finds a fake noise in the toy section, and he starts thinking of different costumes he can wear to look normal again. Uh, he falls asleep in the store, and it's revealed that his nightmares that he have is being as of being buried alive with his father, because no one can see him in the grave with his father. So they just keep burying him on top of his dad. Uh, wow! <laughs> he then. Uh, he then almost gets caught in this workstation because workers show up and he's wearing the stolen clothes. So he trips down again and he runs away. No clothes. Naked man, naked man. Uh, Griffin continues the story more and we find out that he steals more clothes. He ties up another shop owner. Um, he basically, and, and Kemp says to him that, that knocking people out, like that's not a way of humanity. Like, you know, you could not hurt anybody and just steal. And Griffin says that I'm, I'm not a man. I'm not a normal human. 
Griffin then gives a very long speech about how being invisible sucks more. He says he can't eat in public places because then he has to reveal his mouth, which is what happened you know, in the hotel with Mrs. Hall. He then states he went to the inn and no one would leave him alone. He went there to, to try to get visible again. Um, he yells how everybody always gets in his way, and now he feels he has to kill them. Griffin says that he knows he can't do this alone. He will establish a reign of terror, and he will create an invisible army and kill and terrorize, and Kemp is going to help. But at first, he needs these notebooks that Miss Marvel has. It is then at this time that the cops bust in and it's about to go down. Griffin does the only thing he knows how to do. He gets naked and afraid and he escapes. Kemp explains to uh, Colonel ID or the copper that they have to take measures against Griffin because he's insane. He's a person of pure selfishness. And Kemp even Kemp says that uh, they can track him with dogs that he is mentally unstable and to keep him unstable and not thinking straight to be able to attack them. They need to make sure this guy doesn't get to sleep. He doesn't get to eat. Kemp even suggests throwing powder glass on the road. So as he walks, he cuts his feet like John McClane and die hard. If this guy is supposed to be the hero of the story, um, uh, Kemp is Kemp's not a good guy. Um, the cop says, no, we're not going to put glass on the road that's unsportsmanlike, and we, you know, we, can't, we can't be rude, even though that would, that would definitely help them. Uh, Griffin's on the run. He kills some rando old dude, and he eats and sleeps. Griffin writes Kemp a letter that says, I'm going to get you, sucker. And then Kemp writes a letter to the, to the cops saying that he loves him. And he can't wait to be in his arms. But first, he must protect him from the terror. Uh, Griffin attacks Kemp's camp and breaks windows because that's the second thing he does best. And the book ends with this big battle with axes and guns and a battle in the house. And a crowd ends up chasing Griffin. And eventually, he dies by the mob uh, jumping on him. And smothering him to death with their fat. And the mob piles. They make a big giant mob pile on top of this naked invisible man. And they kill him. Uh, yeah. And then he becomes visible as he dies shouting mercy. So all these people just laid on top of a naked man. And it killed him. What does that tell you? <laughs> um, in the American version of the novel, there is an epilogue, and it turns out that Marvel, the Thomas Marvel character, gets away with all the money because no one can prove where he got the money from. And he opens a bar called The Invisible Man. And he also has a one-man show telling his story about Griffin. Kemp is still searching for the lost notes of Jack Griffin, the Invisible Man, and Marvel actually has these notes still, but he doesn't understand them. 
So Marvel does wonder what it would like to be invisible. And he has notes and like that. And this book, The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, ends with one more thing not in sight. A hero. The film The Invisible Man was actually originally supposed to come out after the success of Dracula in 1931, but they decided to make the movie Frankenstein instead. Uh, Carl Emil and Carl Emil Jr. They just decided on Frankenstein. But when Frankenstein was shooting, Universal bought the rights to The Invisible Man from H.G. Wells in September 1931 for $10,000. And he demanded script approval from Universal. So they also purchased rights to another novel during that time uh, called The Murder Invisible, uh, lending to some more violence for the story using The Invisible Man and pretty much the, a rip-off novel called The Murder Invisible to make this full movie. Uh, the director was supposed to be James Whale, uh, who, of course, directed Frankenstein. Lamel Jr. had great faith in James Whale, but they, Whale decided to go with Frankenstein, and that broke box office records, and it actually signed Boris Karloff to a five-year contract. So... Because of the contract, Karloff was supposed to be in this Invisible Man, Man movie coming up. But in January 1932, Whale leaves the project because he didn't want to be tagged as a horror director. Which is kind of weird to me because if you only direct Frankenstein, like, you just did one horror movie, you're not... A full-on horror director like i don't know so karloff was attached to the visible man movie there was no script there was no director so the first choice to do, to replace whale was a guy named robert flory whose film murders in the rue morgue was released in like february that year and foley starts writing the visible man and basically over a couple years the scripts just get tossed around to different people and no one's picking it up. And through the course of these two years, it, it can only be, <laughs> be described as different things being written, some script ideas that just don't work. Um, someone even had a idea for like a transparent scarlet, uh, Pumpernickel type story. It's uh, it's weird, and eventually Karloff is uh, kicked off the project, and he goes to do a movie called The Wizard. Um, and then what happens? Uh, I messed up my notes here. I apologize. Um, because they had a loss so far on this movie of like 1.2 million. Uh, 
they totally just shut down anything that they were working on. Um, and the, but the movie eventually gets picked up uh, by a new director and about like 1932, it gets picked up by the, well, no, I'm sorry. It does get picked up by Will again. And he decides that, uh, I guess I will be a horror director, but he doesn't have Boris anymore. And he hires a guy named, uh, Claude Rains in his first kind of universal picture role. Uh, Claude Rains would eventually go to, uh, play, uh, the Wolfman's dad. Uh, he would, he would play so many different roles in the universal, uh, in universal movies. He also appears in adventures of Robin hood, um, and just so many different, different movies in that area. But invisible man was his first. So, um, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff kind of going on, but the only thing really interesting is like, how did they do the invisible man effects? So it, it was in huge secrecy while filming this movie about how things were going down. Uh, they, they wouldn't tell anybody, but in 1934, the special effects, uh, cinematographer, um, John P. Fulton, he did reveal eventually kind of how they did it. So what Fulton said is they, they started by shooting, I guess, a completely black set with walls and floors covered in black velvet to make it non-reflective. Then Claude Rains was then covered head to foot with black velvet tights and wore whatever clothes he required for that scene. And with that negative, a print was made. And then a duplicate negative was made to serve as mats for printing. And then with the ordinary printer, they made composite first printing of the positive of the background and normal functioning using that negative they made to mask the area where the visible man was to move. And Fulton said the principal difficulty of this was matching the lighting on the clothes that were visible with the lightning, with the general lighting used in the scenes, uh, you know, fixing small imperfections such as the scenes with the eye holes, which were touched up in the film frame by frame, uh, with brushes and opaque dye. Uh, that sounds pretty nuts. Uh, for others, for other scenes like uh, where Claude Rains is up, rain, up, up, unwrapping the bandages from his head, and kind of like showing parts of his head. Um, the bandages were taken off with like a thin wire frame. So basically they use velvet and anti-reflecting things and did a negative on top of another negative in the film and kind of spliced it together. Um, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. I, I, I applaud that. That's, that's pretty nuts. Um, so, what is the differences between the uh, the book and the and the movie? Well, in the movie, um, I made a mistake actually earlier. I apologize. And in the book, they don't say that the visible man's first name is Jack. Um, but in this movie, they reveal that his first name is Jack Griffin. So, 
take that how you will, like what his first name is in the book. I, I just going to say is, you know, his, his name's Jack Griffin. So for the movie, they change up a, a lot of, they make a lot of weird choices. Uh, they try to make the invisible man a little bit more sympathetic. Um, I like villains just being villains. I like them just being evil. If you're a monster, be evil. Um, but then I kind of just was a hypocrite there and contradicted myself because I really like Frankenstein's monster and he's not really a monster. He's sympathetic. Um, but whatever. Yeah. Sorry. But in the, in the movie, the story is a guy named Jack Griffin. He works for a Dr. Cramley and he assists him in food preservation experiments Along side his friend, Dr. Kemp. And, you know, Kemp in the book, you know, they're friends. And this, oh, well, Kemp in the book, you know, it's just some random dude that he went to school with. But in here, they're actually friends. Uh, Griffin is actually deep in love with Professor Cranley's daughter, who's named Flora. And Flora probably has a twin name, Fauna. Who knows? <laughs> but Griffin and her uh, plan to marry but Griffin's poor. He has no money. He has nothing to offer her. So he begins experimenting with obscure and a dangerous can chemical drug called monocaine. Uh, monocaine is a medication that causes like losing all sensation in your body. Uh, you don't you don't lose consciousness. It's 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 a uh, it's different than like a general anesthetic. But it eliminates all sensation in the body. And, uh, oh, no, I, I apologize. It does cause unconsciousness. And it eliminates all sensation. I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, losing sensation in the body. Uh, he hopes that this will make him, this experimentation with it, will make him rich and famous. And he'll be a worthwhile husband for uh, Flora. So Griffin discovers that if he combines this monocane that loses sensation and some other chemicals, it makes him invisible. And he gets really excited about this, and he doesn't think clearly. And Griffin leaves Kemp and the Professor Cranley to complete the experiment, experiment in solitude. And he starts injecting himself with a formula over a month, and he becomes invisible. Um, but only after he's invisible does he realize that he has no way to reverse this. So he can't become famous. He can't marry Flora. So he panics. He goes to a village of Ipping, just like in the book, and he rents a room. And um, just and, and the movie starts just like the book does with him going to this inn. And he starts trying to research a formula to reverse his invisibility. And he makes himself appear invisible by wrapping his head in bandages, just like in the book, and wearing dark goggles. Uh, this creates the locals to be very curious. And because of the side effects of that drug, monocaine, he starts going insane. He starts losing his crap. And um, in the movie, <laughs> the Mrs. Hall... Uh, they call her Jenny Hall in the movie. 
she is played by, in my opinion, the most annoying actress in Universal Monster history. It's that same actress that played uh, Minnie in uh, Bride of Frankenstein, that one servant that just screams like crazy and has no acting skill whatsoever. She just screams and yells, uh, annoying as heck. She plays Mrs. Hall in this movie, and she yells and screams and overacts even worse than she did in Bride of Frankenstein. It is unbelievably annoying. <laughs> but um, Jenny bugs Griffin, and Griffin gets really annoyed with her and sends her away. Jenny goes to her husband and says, hey, you need to get this dude to pay his bill. You need to get him out of here, have him pay his bill, and you know get the heck out of here. So Griffin... Uh, actually pushes her husband down the stairs and he hits his head, makes it bleed. They call the cops on the invisible man. So when that happens and he's confronted by police, he starts shedding his clothing and getting naked. Like he just like he does in the book and he eludes the police. Uh, he seeks, eventually seeks help from uh, Kemp who is his friend in the book. So it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Like in the book, um, he just ironically ran into Kemp uh, by by fate. But uh, in the movie, when he runs into Kemp, the monocane chemicals have affected his mind so crazy that he starts playing world domination, coming up with invisible armies, you know, just like the book. And Kemp wants to help his 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 uh. I'm sorry, Invisible Man wants to make Kemp his visible partner and assistant. Um, and not even seeing Flora again and her father help ease Griffin's uh, craziness. He he vows to kill Kemp, um, probably because Kemp keeps hitting on Flora <laughs> throughout this movie. Uh, they it's It's almost like in Frankenstein when Victor's friend is goes after Elizabeth, Victor's friend Henry, or Henry's friend Victor goes after, they flipped it in the movie, whatever, goes after Elizabeth. Like, you gotta have this love triangle that really doesn't go anywhere and serves zero purpose. But, you know, what are you gonna do? But uh, Kemp, Kemp uh, alerts the cops, just like it does in a book. And Griffin eventually makes good on his threats, and he wants to kill Kemp. So he ties him up in a car and he sends Kemp over a cliff. And then he seeks refuge from the cold in a farmer's barn. And he still doesn't cover up his manhood and nakedness. Still naked. Way to go. <laughs> the farmer of the barn summons the police. The police set fire to this barn. Griffin flees the burning barn. Um, the chief of police sees his footprints in the snow, shoots at him. The shot passes through both of Griffin's lungs, and Griffin dies from the gunshot wound in the hospital. And during this, the visibility starts wearing off, and instead of yelling, you know, mercy or have mercy on me, uh, he dies there saying, I meddled in things that man must leave alone. And he becomes visible again. So he dies by being shot uh, through the lungs. 
He doesn't die by, by a bunch of fat people piling on top of him and smothering him like in the book. Um, he's more sympathetic. Uh, he's, you know, he's, but he's, 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 he's more cruel uh, in the movie uh, in the beginning than he is, you know, in the book. So it's, it's interesting, but it, it shows it shows in like the difference in, in insanity and how isolation and not being seen can can make you just go nuts. Um, but it does still kind of make him sympathetic because of the love for his fiance. Uh, I I don't know. I I I have to say that I like the books the book better. Um, I like the idea that the invisible man is just a selfish turd who wants power, wants recognition. He wants to be seen. And in the process of wanting to be seen, he makes himself invisible. I, I like the irony in that. I like how that drives an incredibly smart man insane. Um, I like the the parallels of, of the irony of it all. Um, I I feel that the Invisible Man is kind of almost as dangerous as Dracula, um, if not more more dangerous in some cases. I mean, Dracula can be able to hypnotize people. You know, he sucks blood, but Universal's Dracula mostly just targets women. The Invisible Man, and, and Universal-wise, I mean, he, he'll he'll attack anybody, and you'll never see him coming. So the threat level is extremely high with Invisible Man. Um, so after the success of this movie, um, really... Really, after the success of the Son of Frankenstein, it, Universal decides that they're just going to make a whole crap load of sequels and just keep these franchises going. And well, after the success of the Bride of Frankenstein, the Son of Frankenstein, they just go sequel crazy. And that's why you get all those mummy movies. You get all these stupid Dracula movies like Son of Dracula and Daughter of Dracula. And, and all the movies aren't that good, but they just keep on um they just keep on shooting them out so the rest of the universal invisible man movies they don't follow the same character uh they're a bit of a mess i i kind of liked invisible man returns which is the sequel and in that movie the visible man is played by a relatively unknown at this time Vincent Price in 1940, who was only in, um, he was only in one other movie for Universal, and I I can't remember which one it was. I think that he was. Let me see here. Looking at my notes here, so he was in a movie called. Uh, Brigham Young. Uh, no, I think that yeah, the first his first ven his first venture into horror 
was uh, in the Bill, Boris Karloff film Tower of London. And then the following year, he's in Invisible Man Returns. And he actually uh, does that voice. He does a voiceover in the closing scene of Abbott and Selimi Frankenstein. So he is, the Visible Man is in that movie. And, uh, and Vincent Price does that, that voice there. But in Invisible Man Returns, the story basically is this man that was convicted of a crime that he didn't, that he didn't do. And in order to not be murdered on death row, his friend injects him with an invisibility serum so he can be with his lost love. And the movie is basically um, finding out who the killer is and trying to get him back to uh, being seen. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not too bad of a movie. Um, I, I suggest you check it out. I'm not going to go so much into it because it's a whole different character. It's a whole different thing. And then after that, actually in the same year in 1940, they decided to do an invisible woman story. And it's, it's a comedy. It's about this fashion model that becomes invisible. And she, <laughs> She she's a subject to experimentation by some professor and uh, and it's revealed that alcohol makes her invisible. It's 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 just it's campy and just ridiculous. Uh, it's it's not a monster movie. But then in 1942, they decided to take the invisible man in a different way in a different turn of events that would later be used in later adaptations and some TV shows, they decided to make the invisible man like a government agent. So this is 1942. This is the height of world war two. They decided to make the invisible man, uh, a United States soldier and going and working against the Nazis and having invisible powers and being like a spy. Um, that's not the visible man to me. So, Screw that. Um, then they do, in 1944, they do The Invisible Man's Revenge. Uh, that's a little bit more Invisible Man. Uh, they do keep the Griffin name as they did in Invisible Agent. They keep that Griffin name that's synonymous with Invisible Man. Um, but it's about a madman who seeks revenge on those who have wronged him. And becomes invisible upon experimentations and wants to get revenge on his former friends and business partners. So it's that's more of like the invisible man kind of get you know with the revenge and stuff, hence the name Invisible Man's Revenge. That's that's kind of more like it. Um but when when it comes down to it, the invisible man needs to be needs to be a thief he also needs to be a scientist he needs to be the selfish mega maniac a man that wants to be seen yet makes himself invisible um and he needs to be a murderer <laughs> like i and there's no real other way to put it um but i i think the closest to what I see the Invisible Man should be 
is definitely in the movie Hollow Man with with Kevin Bacon that comes later. I I I like that he's a scientist that he's going insane that he decides to use invisibility to to mess with women and all that stuff. Like that that is that is scary, man. Um, and and I also did love the twenty twenty Visible Man movie um, that focuses on a woman in a domestic abuse relationship, and she feels trapped, and um, she feels and and she's basically being gaslighted and made insane by her inventor boyfriend. And is he? Did he really make an invisible suit? Is you know, is he really messing with her? It, like, that's that's the scary stuff, in my opinion, guys. Um, you know, are you really seeing what you're seeing, or really not seeing what you're seeing? Is is these things really happening? Like, to flip the insanity on to a victim character instead of the invisible man himself is just absolutely intriguing. And definitely a way to do it. And that 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 movie was great. Um, but for the invisible man character for Universal, I I I think I still prefer all in all as just this mad scientist character that makes himself invisible <laughs> as he tries to get famous. So so that is an invisible man. That's what the story is. That's in Universal World. I thank you so much for joining me today. I, I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope it thrilled you. I hope it horrified you. I hope it at least left you gravely amused. You can find us on Facebook at Gravely Amusing. You can find us on Twitter or X on Gravely underscore Amusing. You can find me on Instagram at Gravely Amusing. You can find me pretty much anywhere in social media. And please listen and follow, download, tell your friends if you like this episode. Uh, if there's anything that you suggest that we should talk about in the future, definitely send me a message on any one of those social platforms. So thank you so much, listeners. Uh, don't forget to share the podcast and tell me what you like about it. Bye-bye. <laughs>